we are being changed by the Spirit into the same image from glory to glory. That is progressively more and more like Jesus Christ as we look at Jesus in the Bible. So, how much more will the transformation into His image be complete when we see Him face to face? Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. What are the eternal promises that are directly connected to our adoption into God's family? Hello, I'm Bill Wright. Today we continue the series, The Christian's DNA. You know, the biblical teaching on adoption has several key implications for the life of every true believer here on this earth. But adoption also has several key implications for every brother and sister in Christ in the life to come in the new heaven and earth. The Bible teaches that we as Christians will always be adopted sons and daughters in the kingdom of God throughout eternity future. Well, that's a wonderful and comforting reality. The Apostle John encourages every believer to rejoice and anticipate that day when our future glorification arrives. Are you looking to that day, believer? Let's join Tom now as he opens God's Word on The Word Unleashed. You are a child of God, and that'll never be more true than it is today. You might be a better child of God someday, but you'll never be more of a child of God than you are today. And the fact that God has adopted us as his children, that ensures our future glorification. In fact, Paul attaches the two together. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, that is, if you have God's Spirit within you, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but if you have the spirit, if you are a son of God, you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, as daughters, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if in fact we have been adopted by God, where does that leave us? Verse 17, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, And ultimately that means, notice the end of verse 17, we will be glorified with him. So adoption leads inexorably to glorification. It's going to happen. We can have that confidence. Go down to verse 23. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. You say, wait a minute, I thought I already was adopted. You have been. This is in Roman law. This is when someone who's been adopted comes of full age and receives all the benefits and blessings of that adoption. That's going to happen when Christ returns and our bodies are redeemed. But notice again, Adoption leads certainly to glorification. Lloyd-Jones puts it this way, what we are now is a guarantee of what we are going to be. Our sonship is in itself a guarantee of our glorification because God never starts a work and then gives it up. 
Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Our glorification is certain. In fact, you're still in Romans 8. Look down in verse, at verse 29. Right, let's start at verse 30. We'll, we'll look at verse 29 later. Verse 30. Those whom he predestined to be like his son, God also called. That's the effectual call. When he called you through the gospel and you believed. And those whom he called, he also justified. That is, he declared them right with him through the work of Jesus Christ. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. If God chose to set his love on you in eternity past, if he called you through the gospel to himself, if he, did, if he justified you, if he declared you right with him, then he will glorify you. It's certain. Now go back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. There's a, there's a second truth we learn from our text, not only the certainty of our glorification, but secondly, the anticipation of our glorification. We are not yet what we will be. We are not yet what we will be. Verse 2 says, it has not appeared as yet what we will be. Now, unfortunately, many Christians misunderstand what that's saying. If you don't read it carefully, it can sound like it hasn't yet appeared to us what we will be. But that can't be what John means because he explicitly says in the very next phrase that we do know. Notice verse 2, it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. So he's not saying, well, I don't know what we're going to be. No, we know what we're going to be. The Greek word translated appeared there literally means manifested. It means to make visible, to expose publicly, to openly display. In fact, the same word is used back in chapter 2, verse 28 of Jesus' second coming. We know Jesus is coming back, but it just hasn't yet been manifested. It hasn't been publicly revealed. That's what he's saying about us. As believers, we know what we will be in the future, but it hasn't yet become visible. It hasn't yet been made known to the world around us in a visible, public, undeniable way that we are, in fact, God's adopted children and that we are becoming more like our Savior every day. Verse 1, the world doesn't know us, doesn't know who we are. What we really are hasn't yet been clearly revealed to the world. That's why in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, Paul writes, the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Someday we're going to be revealed for who we are. So we live in this in-between state in which we know who we really are in Christ. We are God's own children whom he loves as much as his own son, and we know what we're eventually going to be. But that reality has not yet been fully publicly manifested to the world, and so we live in anticipation of our glorification. There's a third truth in our text, and that is John teaches us the timing of our glorification. We will be changed when he appears. Verse 2 says, we know that when Jesus appears, we will become fully and completely all that God saved us to be. That's when our glorification will happen. Colossians chapter 3 verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now, all of us will be fully glorified in the future, but listen carefully. 
the exact timing of our glorification will be slightly different from others depending on whether we die before Christ returns or whether we survive until his coming at the rapture. So let's assume for a moment that the Lord delays his coming and we die. What happens when you and I die? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. The moment your heart stops beating in that tent, as Paul calls it there in 2 Timothy 5, the moment your tent is torn down, at that very moment you will appear in the presence of God. And at the moment of death, your soul will become perfect. That's stage one. Your soul will become perfect. How do I know that? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. In heaven are the spirits of the righteous made perfect. The spirits of the righteous made perfect. So at the moment of death, you are present with the Lord. Well, you can't be present with the Lord until your soul is perfected. So your soul will be perfected at the very moment of death. You'll leave this life, and in a moment's time, you'll be in the presence of the Lord, and you will be perfect. Your soul will be perfect. You'll leave your body here. That tent will still be here. We'll put it in the ground. But death only introduces us to what theologians call the intermediate state. In other words, it's not the final state for the Christian. It's better than this life. That's why in Philippians 1, Paul says it's better to depart and be with Christ. But what happens at death is still not the most glorious expression of our salvation. Why is that? Because you and I were created as two-part beings to be eternally two-part beings, body and soul, a material part and an immaterial part. But death separates those two parts. Your body stays here. Your perfected soul goes to heaven. Full humanity consists of both body and soul. So if we die before Jesus returns, our souls are perfected at death and pass into the Lord's presence, but our glorification won't be complete until the rapture. At the rapture, all believers together receive a glorified body. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's start with those who have died in Christ. So before the rapture, at some point before the rapture, they've died. Verse 14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So he's saying, remember the moment you leave this life, you're present with the Lord. You're alive, you're alert, you're, you're aware of where you are. If you want a little picture of what it's like to be a disembodied soul, read Revelation and look at the, the souls of the tribulation saints. They are interacting with each other and with God. You don't need your body to interact. And so that, that will happen. Your, your body will be here. Notice, he will bring your perfected soul back from heaven with him in the air. And then verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. In other words, at that moment, at the rapture, they're already perfected souls, perfected at death, dwelling with God in heaven, came back with him at the rapture. Their perfected souls are joined to glorified bodies in that moment. And then, what about those who live until the rapture? Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. 
So for those who live until the rapture, Christ instantly perfects their souls and then immediately joins their perfected souls to glorified bodies. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. There's those who died before Christ came. And we, that is those who live until he comes, will be changed. So understand this. We will all receive the ultimate expression of our glorification together at the rapture. Perfected souls in heaven if we die before. But then all of us, see glorification completed when Jesus returns. That's why John says the timing of our glorification is when he appears. There's a fourth truth we learn here in our text, and that is the outcome of our glorification. The outcome, we will be like him. Verse two, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Now it's interesting, there are two Greek words John could have used for like. One of them is isos, as in isosceles triangle. That Greek word means equality. But John doesn't choose that word because we're not going to be equal with Jesus in every way. We will not share Jesus' divine nature. Unlike the false teachers, Kenneth Copeland and others, we're not going to be little gods. He's going to be God and we're going to still be perfected human beings. We will not have Jesus' specific personality. He will still be Jesus and I'll still be Tom. We will not look like Jesus' physical twin. We're not going to go around heaven going, who's who? They all look alike. (laughs) So he doesn't use this word. The other Greek word and the one he uses is homos. It's like homo. It means equal but of the same nature, similar We will be like Jesus in two very specific ways. First of all, we will have a glorified body with the same qualities as his, but a body that is distinctly and identifiably ours. Philippians 3.21, Christ, and I love this, will transform the body of our humble state. I hate to tell you this, but go home and look in the mirror, that's your humble state. He is going to transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. You know, a lot of people worry, you know, well, what about those people who, you know, their bodies were destroyed, martyrs who were burned, or people who are cremated and their ashes are scattered, or people who died at sea and the fish have eaten their bodies and it's all over. Well, listen to the end of Philippians 3.21. He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Don't worry. He can do it. Now, what will our glorified bodies be like? I wish I had time to take you to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 to 44, but Paul there explains what our glorified bodies will be like. He uses four words. First of all, they'll be imperishable. They'll never wear out. They'll never grow old, thank you, Lord. They'll never be affected by disease or sickness. They are imperishable. Secondly, he says they are glorious. That is, they will be characterized by beauty or or attractiveness. There'll be no more shame, no more dishonor to our bodies because of what we have done in our sin. They will be, thirdly, powerful. There's no weakness, spiritual or physical weakness. In other words, your body, your glorified body will have the strength to do everything God asks you to do. And it will be spiritual, a spiritual body. That doesn't mean it's immaterial. 
He contrasts it with a natural body. All he's saying really is that our future body simply won't have the same limitations as our current ones. Again, thank you, Lord. Your glorified body will be like Jesus' glorified body. It will be recognizable but different. It will be able to eat, touch, see, walk, sit, just like his. It will be able to move through matter but still be touched, as his was in John 20. It will have continuity with your current body, but it will be new. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul compares the relationship between your current body and your future body to be that between a seed and the plant that grows from that seed. When you die, we plant your body in the ground like a seed, and when Jesus comes back from that seed, he'll bring your new body. It'll still be connected to your current body in that one sense, but it'll be new. We will be like him in that we will have a glorified body with the same qualities as his. Secondly, we will be like him in that we will have a perfected soul with the same moral character as his, but a soul that is distinctly and identifiably ours. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom God foreknew, by the way, the word foreknow means to determine beforehand to have a relationship with. I could, I could prove that to you. Go back and listen to the Roman series. But it means to predetermine to have a relationship with you. Those whom God predetermined to have a relationship with, he also predestined, literally he predetermined their destiny. And what was that destiny? To become conformed to the image of his son. When God decided to have a relationship with you, to set his love on you in eternity past, he also predetermined your destiny, and that is that someday you would be just like his son. And in body and soul, you would be a replica of Jesus Christ our Lord, and that we would forever reflect his glory and bring him praise. The outcome of our glorification is that we'll be like him. That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? You're going to have a glorified body someday just like with the same qualities as Jesus' glorified body. And someday you're going to be just like him in your moral character. Read the Gospels and all those ways that he manifested his love for God and his love for others. Someday that's going to be you. A fifth and final truth about our glorification here in our text is the cause of our glorification. Look at verse 2. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. That little word because is really unexpected and fascinating. Because. We'll be like him because we will see him. Now, that really shouldn't surprise us because think about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. He says that right now, as you and I look at Christ in Scripture, as we see Christ in Scripture, we are being changed by the Spirit into the same image from glory to glory. That is progressively more and more like Jesus Christ as we look at Jesus in the Bible. So, how much more will the transformation into his image be complete when we see him face to face? When we see him just as he is, because of that, we will be like him. When we see him with no filters, when we see him exactly as he is, we will see him and then we'll be perfectly like him. That's our glorification. Now, very quickly, 
these great truths really serve four great uses for us. Let me just mention them and you can meditate on them. Four great uses for us. Number one, these truths, the truth of our glorification, serve as a test we must take. It's really the context here in 1 John. John's giving us tests of eternal life. So if you want to know if you have eternal life, if you want to know if you're truly a Christian, then ask yourself this question. And I mean in your heart of hearts, is this what you really want? Do you want to be like Jesus Christ? I'm not asking if you want to be rid of some sin that humiliates you, that troubles you. I'm asking, do you body and soul want to be like Jesus Christ? If you do, then you pass this test of eternal life. If you don't, you're not a Christian. Secondly, these truths are a goal we must pursue. If you're a Christian and you know that someday you're going to be exactly like Jesus Christ, then guess what? You want to be more like him now, and you will be pursuing this goal. Look at, at our text, 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. You're going you're gonna to pursue this goal, even if you can't get to perfection in this life, you're going to be serious about following Christ and being like him. Number three, it's a promise we must believe. I think sometimes we act like this really isn't going to happen. We need to believe God's promise, and it will have life-changing implications. Listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones. Most of the unhappiness that we experience in this life is due to our failure to realize this truth. All our unhappiness is ultimately to be traced back to this, that we are looking at things that are happening to us now instead of looking at this vision that is held there before us. We live too much with the things that are immediately in front of us instead of putting everything into the context, listen to this, of our standing, that is our current standing as children, having been justified, and of our destiny. Remember, Christian, who you are and what you will become. Fourthly, these truths are a habit we must practice. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18? I mentioned it a moment ago. Listen to it. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. We all, that is every Christian, with unveiled face. In other words, he's saying in Christ, the veil of misunderstanding the Old Testament is gone. We now get it. We see we all, every believer with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. It's like we're looking at Christ on the pages of Scripture. And what happens as we look at him, we are being, literally the Greek text says, metamorphosized into the same image from one level of glory to another. That is, from one level of Christ's likeness to another, just as from the Lord the Spirit. This is what you need to be doing now. This is a habit you and I must practice now. Someday we're going to be like Christ. Now we need to be pursuing that. How? Look at him on the pages of the Word of God. Understand who he is. See him in his glory. And when we see him, we will be like him. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part eight of his series, The Christian's DNA. Tom will have part nine for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, Tom, before we end our time today, would you share a closing thought with us? You know, friend, 
I think for us, the most important lesson here is that as believers, we have to live in light of the reality that Christ is coming again. The Apostle John here teaches us that Christ is coming back from heaven for all of those who've been adopted into God's family. And John tells us that on that day, we'll be made like him. We will receive glorified bodies just like he has, and we will remain in his presence forever. But while we're waiting for him to come, there's work for us to do. Paul tells us we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling as we, as we struggle and endeavor to become more like Christ through the work of the Word and the Spirit of God. We have to allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to renew our minds and hearts as we pursue likeness to Jesus Christ. Thanks, Tom. And friend, are you interested in attending the Master's Seminary? Countryside Bible Church, where Tom serves as pastor, is home to the Master's Seminary Dallas Distance location. Join Pastor Tom as he hosts the Master's Seminary Spring Preview Weekend, coming up March 23rd through the 26th, 2023, at Countryside. You'll interact with Tom, attend seminary classes, and participate in church life at Countryside. For more information and registration, go to thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Music